Welcome to episode 17 of the Dealers Compressed Podcast. My name is Paul J. Daly, and I'm your host, and I just got back from, uh, I guess, an extended weekend in the Napa Valley for the 2018 Digital Marketing Strategies Conference hosted uh, by the Pash Brothers of PCG Consulting. That's uh, Brian and Glenn Pash. And I got to say... It was a pretty great conference. I loved the small size of it. It was only about 100 dealers with vendors and everything. It probably uh, was 125, 150. And I've never been in a conference room before where vendors and dealers and moderators all were able to have uh, a friendly go at one another. Yeah, that's right. So Brian, I got to admit, Brian Pash had incredible poise as he facilitated a, a very real and frank conversation between vendors and dealers. And, you know, we created the series around Dale Pollock's book, Like I See It, and he talked a lot about dealership data streams and sharing of data between vendors and giving dealers access and working together and building out APIs that work. And that conversation was alive and well at this conference. I really wish Dale was there because he would be smiling. And in some way, I like to think, that you know, some of the things he wrote in his book have helped really spur this conversation on. So I was happy a part of that. So it was in Napa Valley. I'd never been there before. And if you've never gone, it really is beautiful and just a, kind of a sight to behold. I'm not a big wine person, but I learned a lot about wine. And I was able to take my wife with me. So we had a great time you know, doing that, but also really digging in and learning more about the industry and uh, what dealers are facing. So I wanted to spend this podcast talking about a few things uh, that were really the takeaways and I think important for the dealers to hear that are listening or the vendors, the industry partners who couldn't be there because I think that some things need to be talked about and I'd like to share some of that. You know, first of all, it was, you know, the title of this podcast, you know, the problem with wine and marketing. And I guess you can go off and think about a lot of problems that would come in if you combine wine and marketing. But really, some of the similarities that I learned, the variables are just insane in both. Like the amount of precision that needs to happen in order for wine to be made, the grapes to be, you know, um, harvested right, and the temperature, and the frost, and the, and the aging, and the barrels, and all those things, things can change a lot. On top of that, the other things that can go wrong, regulation, right? Remember prohibition? That kind of messed things up. And actually, that industry is still pretty broken because of prohibition and the rules and regulations and laws that messed up an industry for a really long time. The next thing, you know, com consumer confidence and sentiment, right? Consumer strength, very big impact on the wine industry. And it's interesting, I was thinking about it in terms of the auto industry. And boy, are we in the same stormy ship of consumer sentiment and laws and regulations and industry conditions and country conditions. And so it really, I guess, in a way helped me feel like, hey, we're not alone. Other people deal with this stuff. So I wanted to talk about a few takeaways in relation to what I saw, what I learned at a conference like this. If you're a data head, you're just going to be happy because everyone's talking about data to a very granular level, you know, above my pay grade in a lot of areas. It was when you get really into, you know, data integration, uh, attribution and all those things. So I learned a lot about those. And more importantly, I met a lot of people that are a lot smarter than I am and have some new connections now. So uh, new people to call and kind of collab with. One of the things that really popped out was some things that in the industry we hear all the time and the popular press is reporting on quite a bit. 
And some new data was presented. Uh, some of the most interesting data, I think, was presented by a joint study between TrueCar and PCG. And really, the research shows, here we go, ready? How many dealer visits does a customer make on average? I'll give you a second, and I know a number just popped in your mind, and everyone's got this idea of how much it is. For me, that number was around 1.4, 1.5 when the question was posed at the conference. Get, guess what the actual you know, most recent data is showing? 2.4. That's a big difference. You know, The 1.4 model is like, hey, customer's only going to be on your lot. Chances are you got them. No, actually, you don't got them. 2.4, which means... They're not only going to show up on your lot, they're going to show up on somebody else's lot, and then maybe even a third one. And so that's kind of a calibrating fact. Another, here, here we go, let's talk about dealer trust. You know, and, and we're kind of an easy target on this. Uh, we've done it to ourselves, but here's some interesting takes on that type of data that I think we can learn from. So 17% of people of all the people surveyed, and the sample size was really big and it was really um, diverse. I really respect the sampling that they took. They showed the information on it. 17% of people only somewhat trust or trust a dealer. That means everybody else, the other 83%, don't trust the dealers. So guess what? We were second to last. Who do you think the last ones were? What do you think? All I can say is they were the greatest stats I've ever seen. They'll never be greater stats. Politicians. So politicians came in at 14%. 17% somewhat trust or trust a dealer. Only 14% somewhat trust or trust a politician. Either way, most, the vast majority of people don't trust us. So it's important to log that away because we're working together to try to change that stigma as we build consumer trust, as we build reputation, as we build connection with a customer. Now, next step is that other 83% that don't trust us, most of them, 76% of them, believe that our ads, dealer ads, may be misleading. So they already don't trust us. And then when they see the ads, they're like, I guess it's no surprise. They're like, yeah, that's probably misleading. What do we do with that? We have to work 10 times as hard to build consumer trust. 10 times, that may be modest. Maybe more than 10 times. You know, once somebody burns you, you know, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice. Like people just feel burnt by dealers. It's just a legacy thing we have to deal with in combat. And I believe we can. We just have to work at it. So one of the other takeaways, trust through transparency is a really big deal still. We have to be transparent. It's going to take 10 instances of customers getting what they expected or better than they expected to start to overrun that stigma that dealers just can't be trusted. So um, that is... The trust issue is one I wanted to touch. Saw some really cool stuff on what Kevin Fry, who is a director at Jeff Weiler Group, they're doing a lot with subscription services. And he, he got up there, gave a great keynote, and he admits, he's like, hey, we don't know. We're trying to make it profitable. The margins are razor thin. However, consumer sentiment and response is through the roof. People seem to love it. Love it. And they have all kinds of great stories of people enjoying the process of driving and being in a car and enjoying the process of having flexibility, of making one payment, not having to do the things that, that, are, that suck about car ownership, like dealing with insurance and the you know, registrations and maintenance and all that. It's just I pay one price, I can drive a car, I can switch out if I need, depending on what my needs are. 
So again, that type of business, as he was presenting the subscription service, I was really thinking like, boy, talk about a company that's built on brand and brand loyalty and brand trust. And he had a, Jeff had a really interesting, you know, hypothesis or, you know, foresight in what he thinks is going to be the next step of how manufacturers and dealers and consumers all work together. And basically his thought, I hope I get this right. I'm going by memory. His thought was that manufacturers are going to be the ones that assume the risk of owning the inventory. So they're going to own the fleet, et cetera, et cetera. And dealers are going to be the interface by which the consumers connect with those vehicles and you know pay to drive those vehicles. So I think that's a pretty viable theory. If you think through it, that makes sense. And this brings me to my next point, and probably the main point that I wanted to talk about today is the intersection, you can call it the upcoming intersection, but it's here, I think, between digital and brick and mortar. Everybody's shouting, retail is dead, watch the retail apocalypse, and blah, blah, blah. But the truth is, as we look at what the companies that were digital first are starting to do, like the Amazons, right, Warby Parker, and then other companies who were brick and mortar first that are now making a splash in digital, like the Nordstrom's, world-famous customer experience in brick and mortar, how do they transition? Also, uh, companies like Walmart, huge brick and mortar presence. Now, how do they start to convert that? And we've seen them moving a lot with their um, digital products with, you know, you buy and then you come pick up at the store. But all that to say, what we're seeing is this incredible intersection of digital and brick and mortar. And we're finding out and realizing that customers like the convenience of digital and online, but also like the option of coming to pick it up, having it close by. And Warby Parker, this, the, the eyeglasses company, right? It's great to order online and you save money and it's kind of a fun process. The online experience is fantastic. However, the problem is the glasses at some point have to go on your face and they have to be level and even and fit right and everybody's face is different. It's really hard to do that online. Actually, it's impossible. So there's this transition. You know, Amazon, we're starting to have these locations where you can order online and pick it up. Walmart has taken the opposite approach as far as how they got there, brick and mortar first. Now you can order online and they have a distribution network in their stores. So they're going that direction. Nordstrom, same thing, incredible customer experience. And now they're trying to figure out how do they transition that in the digital because the Nordstrom experience, you buy a shirt and they wrap it up in tissue paper and they put it nicely in the bag and they walk the bag around the counter. They hand it to you right? It's a lot different than the experience when you get something shipped in a plastic bag that's got a barcode on it and shows up at your house, not the Nordstrom experience. So how do they duplicate that? And they have some really cool ways they're working on it and executing to it. So with that in mind, think about that from a dealership standpoint, like the intersection of digital and brick and mortar. And so now dealers are starting to think through, like, look, the, the data is showing us no one really wants or is ready to buy a car all online, take delivery, not in the store. You know, we hear the, the press it reports on that and it's, you know, consumer sentiment. Every, everybody wants that. But the truth is everybody doesn't want that. Actually, the data shows that most people don't want that experience. Now, that may grow as the millennials grow up and the, the next, what's the next generation? I don't remember. The next generation, Gen Z. Is that what it is? They start to you know, need cars and things like that. But where we're at right now is people want this hybrid. They want to blend. They want somebody to hold their hand. And now we're seeing dealers develop these 
you know, multi-threaded services where you can do a lot online and then you can pick up where you left off when you come in the store. You can take delivery in the store and do your paperwork online. A lot of data suggests and shows that consumers are going to spend more in the F&I department if they sell themselves. Basically, if they do that part of the shopping online, that's really interesting. And I think the truth that's coming to light is that it's going to be some hybrid. And so dealers really have an opportunity to create a customer experience that's worth talking about by making it, again, we say this all the time, but by making it easy for the customer to do business with you on their terms. That means when you know the dad has come home from a long day of work and his kids had Little League and he's finally sitting down and maybe sitting in front of the TV or his phone, he wants to like, maybe shop for a vehicle a little bit. He doesn't want to go through a five-hour process at a dealership, but he wants to start looking. And then maybe the next step in valuing the trade, maybe the next step filling out a credit app, maybe the next step, you know, um, settling on a vehicle. And what is real annoying is when he can't keep picking up that process where he left off. Or then when he goes in a dealer and everybody knows what this is like, the customer comes in, they were dealing with somebody else online, somebody else on the phone, and now we have to start the process over and everyone is like, this is terrible especially the customer. So I think that that is an area worth paying attention to. And for me personally, that's an area that is ripe for branding. And you're going to hear me talk about it a lot. It's one of the solutions that we're bringing to market because we believe in it is that branding is all of the things a customer feels and associates with you when they do business with you, when they think about you, when they think about their experience, when they decide whether or not they trust you. You know, digital branding is, when, listen to this. So when we meet somebody in person, 85% or 80-some percent of what you gather and what you decide about that person happens without them saying a word. It's all nonverbal. Body language, posture, the way they're breathing, the way they're looking, are they looking down, are they looking up, are they looking shifty, right? All these things, how they're dressed, all of these things we use to determine what we think about that person, the nonverbals. Well, branding is your opportunity to give digital nonverbals to the customer before you even have any interaction as they decide. I saw a great branding presentation of a company who does it really well, the Maury's Automotive Group um, out of Minneapolis. Fantastic, consistent branding. Bravo, guys. All that means we need to get to work as dealers. We need to pay attention to things we haven't paid attention to because even though at this conference they talked about you know, very granular data and, you know, managing pay-per-click programs, managing social, all of that. If you don't have good branding or consistent branding, you're just going to spend more money. If you have crap creative, you're just going to spend more money on those pay-per-clicks, on those social media ads. It's going to be more expensive. However, if you invest in the other side, it's like a force multiplier on all of your other efforts. And I know I get wound up when I talk about it because I believe in it and I'm an excited to help this industry take a step past and through. And I believe that we can be an example of good branding. And we will be, especially the dealers that are thinking about this the right way. So um, that's kind of the rant about the things that I saw. A couple other things were pretty cool, not rantable. Uh, digital license plates, those are pretty cool. They're launching this year and you know they just look real practical. It seems like the team that thought through it and the company that's bringing them to market, I can't remember their name right now. Oh. I wish I could. Did a great job with it. The, the, the plates look like kind of like a Kindle. It's like that e-ink almost, but the availability to update the plates, to keep the registration valid, 
Um, they can display a message on it when it, the car isn't in use. You know, we were kind of joking, like, we know we really made it when people can start to push their uh, Facebook relationship status right to the back of the plate, which I'm actually was probably going to be possible. That's just what we need. So that was, that was a really cool thing that came up. Just a, a nice little treat to get an advanced look at one of those and kind of see what they're about. And I think that's kind of it for episode 17. Just wanted to give a review of what was being seen out there. I would love to talk to any of you about this stuff. If you have any questions, please reach out. Just reach out from dealerscompressed.com. Would love for you to subscribe and sign on. Uh, the community is growing, making a lot of great relationships, and people are starting to listen and talk about the topics in the podcast. Not because we're anything super special, but it's because these are relevant topics. So that's our goal is to keep bringing things on the podcast and bringing things to light that need to be talked about because I believe as we talk about things, they get fixed. As attention gets on these things, they get fixed, which is why I like the conference I went to because you know Brian Pash specifically and Glenn as he runs PCG as the CEO, they believe that you know, facilitating the conversation is how they get fixed. And there's enough space for all the vendors out there to, you know, have good business and, and do well. And so the open-handed nature of let's have a conversation and let's not get all insecure and defensive is actually very refreshing. That was one of my favorite parts of that conference. You know, when you're when you're in a small environment with a number of people, you know, in the beginning, yeah, okay. So it's a lot of dealers in the room and vendors. So there's some ego flying around and everyone's trying to figure out where I fit in the room. Um, I was trying to figure out where I fit in the room, which is, you know, usually how I feel when I go in a room. I don't belong here. So what I'm saying is, though, when we're in that room, the facilitated conversation eventually migrated to an ego-free zone where people were just having a conversation, understanding that we're all trying to move the ball forward together. So I wanted to bring some of that to you so that you could at least hear a little bit of it and start to think through things and hopefully get the juices flowing, get the conversation going. And as always, thank you for listening to this podcast and tuning in to the information. We got a lot of awesome stuff in the hopper about to drop. And uh, it's a pleasure to be on this journey with you. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for being part of the industry. Thank you for listening. Please reach out if you have any questions or you just want to jam on something. Have a great week.